Hi, Ethan Carson here. Welcome to Poddywood Season 5. Take it away, guys. Hello, everybody. It is a new year. It is 2023. And just like that strange wart that the doctor keeps telling you to put the cream on, we're back with another series of Poddywood, the podcast where we talk about movies occasionally with the people who make movies. I am your needing to slim down after the Christmas festivities co-host, Steve Hester. And with me, as always, is... I like the way you spiced it up there with a bit of occasionally. As if we have been slacking over our last season. We had many exclusive stuff happen over our last season. A lot of exciting things. Yes, we did. We did. However, we also then took some time to, to focus on ourselves. Because it's always good to take time to focus on yourself. Yes. Yes. It's very true. It's very good to focus on yourself. Um, I've got to start with a little something here. We are recording this on the day of the trailer drop for Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. Have you seen it yet, Steve? No, because I couldn't give a damn about Marvel movies anymore. Well, I've got to kind of join you a little bit on there. And I made a comment to somebody the other day online. You might want you to know, introduce yourself to people because they don't know who you are if they're just tuning in for the first thing. We're starting with this. I, no one gives a shit, really. But if, if it really helps... My name is Andrew Roger Carson. I have been your co-host since episode one. Fancy that. Yes. Over the 27 seasons we have had in 67 episodes. Yes. But uh, yeah, I'm yes. here. Let's deal with it. Let's jump into this uh, Ant-Man stuff. I'll remember who I am next week. Okay. Um, yeah, the superhero fatigue thing, I've been feeling it. I don't think the DC stance has really helped in that. And I think most people now are at the point where I think Black, Con- Black Wakanda... Panther Forever, whatever it's called. Uh, that kind of just slipped me by. I haven't even seen it. I didn't even bother going no. to see it. And it was the first Marvel movie in a while that I didn't go... No, actually, that's a lie. I didn't go and see Thor Love and Thunder either. But, you know, I, I think I have kind of just been burned out on it. But, you know, I, I made a comment online the other day where I was saying, if superhero movies are really to thrive this year, this next trailer that was released today really had to deliver something. And I'll give it to you. I watched it. And it's doing that Marvel intrigue thing, which is... uh, Which every single Marvel trailer does, yes. Yes, you know, it's stuff that probably isn't going to happen in the movie. and They should be really careful because people are suing for that shit now. Uh, I can't believe someone actually sued a movie that had Anna Diarmas in the trailer and her scene was cut out and they sued and won. Was, was that for the last Bond film or something? No, I can't even remember what the name of the film was. I didn't. I hadn't even heard about it. But there was a story that broke that they wanted five million uh, because it was misrepresenting having the trailer feature this stuff that's not in it. And the courts went on their side. So that has changed the game now for every movie that Features footage in the trailer from an early test cut that doesn't make the movie. Oh, that Slenderman trailer. That's going to be copping it then, isn't it? Yeah. But I was thinking about that while I was watching um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania's trailer today. And they're, they're kind of laying it on thick. And I'm at the point here where I'm thinking, 
is Marvel actually going to kill off Paul Rudd? Ooh, ooh, I, mm, I don't know. And, I don't know. I, to be I honest, I don't think they will. I wouldn't be against it because I think if they're really going to establish this uh, uh, Jonathan Majors character, Kang the Conqueror, if they're really going to establish that as the big bad. He has to do something that really establishes him as a big bad. Yeah, he does. However, this is the big thing that Marvel have had for ages, is that they are so scared to kill off anybody. And particularly now that they're introducing the multiverse, it doesn't matter if they kill them off. It doesn't matter that Tony Stark died at the end of Endgame. They'll just bring him back. He'll just come back. He'll be, he'll be from an alternative universe. It doesn't matter anymore. There's no stakes in the Marvel universe anymore. There is nothing. As soon as you open the door to the multiverse, it yeah, it's a great idea, but you ultimately are left with nothing matters. I would honestly say, apart from maybe his appearance in the Halloween movie, would it be the only time that Paul Rudd has been killed off? And if that is the case, uh, I would have to say, if it is not the wheelchair kid from Mac and Me that does it, then it is a wasted opportunity. <laughs> That is what we need. And I, I mentioned this before, and Richard Mirish uh, pulled me up and said, oh, uh, if you watch the breakdancing scene, uh, you'll actually see me there in the background. I was an extra on it. What, and in Mac like, and Me? In Mac and Me. Oh, my God. Richard, what were you doing? Uh, hey, hey. Not everyone could get in front of Weinstein, right? But, you know, some people had to learn the hard way and do some breakdancing moves. Yeah. But uh, Mac and me, Jesus, someone sold their soul for that movie. And speaking of selling their souls. Oh, Jesus Christ. Talk about a long walk for a short drink of water. <laughs> well done, though. But yeah. yes, it was. A, well, there, there was a point and a twist at the end. Yes. Which is kind of in line with this movie, I guess. Yeah. As you may have remembered back on our Fair Game episode back in December. Featuring Bill Daly. It's in the archives. Check it out. It was a really fun episode. What's in the box that week? Uh, we got Angel Heart, which was Alan Parker's 1987, I guess you call it a film noir th- yeah, thriller. Yeah, it's, it's a detective hybrid uh, film noir. Uh, before I carry on, though, one little nugget of information. You brought up a wine scene earlier on, and I learnt recently, it could be apocryphal, probably not. Uh, the Gothmog, the kind of freakishly uh, disfigured orc that appears leading the armies in uh, the uh, the Return of the King, was apparently based on Harvey Weinstein. So, there you go. Wow. Yeah. Well, way to ruin that franchise. Mm. No, actually, it makes it better because you know full well that then the guys over at Weta were just going, you know what, we're going to say fuck that guy. Because he's an absolute dickhead. Wetter, I couldn't imagine anything drier. <laughs> hey! Uh, right, anyway, yes. Angel Heart, 1987. Like you say, it's an Alan Parker film. It's the same guy that directed uh, things such as Angela's Ashes. He directed... Uh, Hang Midnight on, why, why are you Express. stepping on my shit? I'm the one who does that. Well, I'm just <laughs> giving you a little bit of background. Deal with it. Um, and he also did a load of stuff with Madonna. which probably Like Evita. Like Evita and... Loads of other music videos. Um, this time around, he decided he was going to pit Mickey Rourke back when he actually looked like Mickey Rourke as opposed to a melted Ken doll. And Robert De Niro back when he actually cared about the stuff that he was doing. 
So you've got two real heavyweight actors in this movie. And the whole story is that uh, Harvey Angel, who's played by Mickey Rourke, uh, is hired by Louis Cipher, played by Robert De Niro, to find a guy called Johnny Favourite, who was a musician. And then he was in an accident during the war and he then suddenly disappeared. And Cipher keeps making all kinds of remarks about, oh, you know, he owes me something and I like to keep all the books level. And I'm going to spoil things for you now. So if you don't want to know, then just fast forward. Although it's the movie came out in 1987, whatever. Um, yeah, you should have watched it with us by now. Yeah, you should have done. You've had a month. Yeah, God damn it, you've got no excuse. Um, anyway, it turns out that Louis Cipher, Lucifer, Lucifer is the devil. And the the soul of Johnny Favourite, um, which is just a ridiculous name, even if it is a stage name, is actually inhabiting the body of Harvey Angel, but Harvey Angel doesn't know it. Which it, it does get explained in the movie, it gets explained towards the end of it. But I don't know if it's me or if it's the, the fact that I've kind of been spoiled by all these shamalama ding dong twists that have occurred ever since the sixth sense. But I was able to call this out right from the very first meeting between the two of them. Like within the first five, ten minutes of the movie, I called it out right there and then. It it just feels so obvious that he's come for Rourke. I mean, I, I watched it again last night, and I, I had the hindsight of having seen it twice before. Yeah. You know, and I still picked up on things that I hadn't picked on before, and I was able to, I guess, layer it a bit differently the more times you watch it, I guess. But, yeah, I do agree with you to the fact that there has been... We we have been spoiled in that respect. Yeah, but it's not even that. Even if you were seeing it from the first time, they have a meeting within the first five minutes or so at this church where there's been a strange shooting. And Rob De Niro goes on this spiel and he's he's kind of the very, very... He's almost like a calm pantomime villain feel to it. He's very, very calm and very, very stoic. But at the same time, he's just kind of playing up that villain role to to quite a strange degree. And then after the meeting is finished, Rourke's driving away and he's going investigating the, the hospital that this Johnny Favourite was supposed to be in. And there's a voiceover that's going on, repeating lines that you've just had in the initial meeting where he says, oh, you know, nobody knows what he looks like. And then I thought, yeah, it's him. It was that. It was the fact that he said no one knows what he looks like. Yeah, I, I think the voiceover did kind of spoil it. I think that was the whole totally kind spoiled. of Blade Runner ruining. Yeah. That it would have held more suspense if that voiceover wasn't there. I mean, speaking of Blade Runner, there's a lot of the feel of Blade Runner. There's lots of times where things just are kind of happening and he's investigating and then there's not really too much explanation as to the hows and the whys and the wherefores. Even characters just kind of come in like he meets a guy on a beach and he's not really set up and the guy's there with his wife and they're just there. There's no real explanation to them. He's just following the lead and this guy's just doing a thing. Yeah, it it is a very yeah the hard boiled style yeah. private detective Chinatown Blade Runner. I guess Blade Runner would really be a private detective movie in a way. 
Yeah, well, it is. It is. And I've Noir. Uh, I've got to be honest, this is a movie which for me, and I can kind of see where Bill was coming from with this, where there's lots and lots of nothing happening. Yeah, it is It is slow and methodical. Yeah, but it's not just slow and methodical. There's no... You would expect there to be some kind of build-up, and throughout the film he's seeing these weird images of a old kind of elevator, you know, the ones with the the, the metal scissor doors which open up, and a woman who's in black, who looks like she sat around mourning, who they never explain who she is. Yes, um, that was never explained. I was expecting that to pay off when I was watching it. I, I can't believe that it didn't. I was like, I'm sure this played out somehow. It doesn't. Even at the ending way. It's kind of intercut with the end credits. You think, oh, we're going to actually get a reveal. Who is this woman? You know, is that his sweetheart? Is that the the mother of Harvey Angel? Is it related to Johnny Favorite? Is it part of the Devil's Deal? Never explained. And at, and at the end, you just see a shaved Robert De Niro in that costume as he's walking past. But what got me is he's going from character to character to character and investigating this thing. And the whole idea of there being this supernatural undercurrent takes more and more of a centre stage. However, his performance never really changes. Who's? Rourke's. Rourke's? Yeah, I mean, he gets pulled up on the murders that are happening around him. But even then, his attitude never really changes. It always stays kind of cool and calm and collected. And then right at the end, where it's explained what's happening, he suddenly loses his shit. That could have been a... a performance choice maybe it, it could have been however it doesn't feel given the evidence that the character has been presented at that point it doesn't feel earned you know he, he's seen a voodoo ceremony not really kind of understood it and then he goes to a guy at a racetrack and then the guy explains everything that's happened and we had to find a guy who was born on the same day who was the same age and then we just swapped your soul out and all of a sudden he goes into the bathroom going no no and there's no, there's no kind of point where he goes, what the hell are you talking about? Well, he has been having these hallucinations leading up to it. He has. You know, and these dreams and stuff. So, you know, and every time he looks in the mirror, he's getting this vague kind of flashback. Yeah, but that's the whole thing. It's, it's a vague flashback, but it doesn't, it doesn't impact the remainder of his character. He doesn't start to feel, start to perform more withdrawn. He doesn't start to appear to be more kind of ragged-eyed, more on edge as it's going towards that. When he meets the guy at the racetrack, he's got his sunglasses on, he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, he's casually tossing a crab into a gumbo pot. (laughs) And then less than 30 seconds later, he's losing his shit. So that I didn't feel was earned. It just suddenly came out of nowhere. I think it would have been interesting if, I mean... Ten years earlier, this film was kind of like optioned and Robert Redford was going to be playing the Harry Angel part, (laughs) which would have been interesting, but I know it wouldn't have gotten that dark. No, no, it would have been a lot brighter. Redford doesn't do really dark stuff. At least nothing springs to my mind of anything dark. He does really safe movies, really. So I can't imagine him. I don't even think I've ever seen Robert Redford do a horror before. No, he usually does things where he's kind of like the good guy. Yeah. Or, well, maybe not in Captain America, but you no, know I knew, what I mean. I fucking knew you were going to bring Captain America up. Jeez. 
For a guy who doesn't support Marvel, you should jump on that one. Well, well look, that we're getting off topic here, but that was where I all started to check out. Winter Soldier is excellent. I will give it that. Right, fine, I'll give you that one. Okay, well, let's delve into it here. We'll, we'll start on the Alan Parker front. Alan Parker okay. has a very, very diverse selection of movies. Right, in his ground. Sadly, we lost him in July of 2020. Hmm. Uh, he suffered a long illness. It was not COVID-related, which is what a lot of people assumed it was. He had been battling illness for a while. Well, Alan Parker really specializes in character-building movies. As you mentioned, Evita, but you know this is the same guy who gave us Mississippi Burning. Mm. Uh, Midnight Express, even. He was the director on Midnight Express. Yep. And even going as far as the commitments. You know, it's very diverse in everything that he does, but usually it's stylistically great. The movie for me, it's, I feel as much as Mickey Rock is in this movie, I've got to say that it's more De Niro because the guy is only in four scenes and one shot and he manages to steal every scene that he is in. And I got a bit of news today in regards to it, in discussion on it, that apparently he was channeling Martin Scorsese. <laughs> so and when you look at it like that it's like no nah, i can believe that <laughs> i can actually believe that he was channeling uh martin scorsese but when i was looking at it i You're was right watching... about the stylistic though it is a very very stylized looking film it's probably one of the most i'd say one of the most realistic looking period pieces of the 1950s that i think you could possibly get Oh, yeah, this this was sponsored by Camel Cigarettes all the way through. Oh, definitely. Uh, I don't even think they had a smoke machine. I think it was just uh, cigarette smoke from every single character. And it was weird because it reminds me of the work of Adrian Lin. And I could have swore when I was watching it on the big screen last night, it's like, this feels so much like, you know, that look of Jacob's Ladder. If you ever saw Jacob Labbitt. I haven't got seen Jacob's Ladder, no. Oh, my God, that's, that's in the box. Um, so it does have... That kind of 80s vibe, even though Jacob's Ladder was 1990. I did kind of appreciate watching it for, I think, my third time all in all. I watched it when it first came out. And I watched it, I think, sometime in the mid-2000s when it came out on DVD the first time. Uh, and I do like the way it is kind of layered with clues all the way through. You know, it, it does constantly feed you. It is very well written, you know, as a movie. It, some of the delivery of it is a bit questionable yeah uh but there was even some nice little things one thing i picked up last night when i was watching it is the law firm is called wine sap and macintosh oh okay wine sap do you know what wine sap and macintosh are the, the, one's a computer one's a bag of fermented grape juice i don't know no they're both brands of apples oh and apples Obviously, the the temptation of the devil. Well, Macintosh, oh, we're back there again. Well, and that too. Yeah. Um, it was originally a book and a really good book. I have actually read uh, the novel of it. They did relocate the plot out of New York, which is where it was mainly set. And obviously, they transported it to New Orleans here. Maybe that was a, a conscious decision with tax credits. Maybe it was just more realistic for, you know, just help the production out. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see that book kind of transferred back to its New York roots. I understand that Michael DeLuca does have the rights to make a remake. Michael, call me. I'll do it. 
I'll, I'll even write that script. I will. Um, the sad kind of takeouts from this is this is the movie. It's the only movie that De Niro and Mickey Rourke have done together. And there's a reason for that. Why did they, they not get on or something? They still hate each other to this day following this movie. And it right. is down to the different techniques uh, that they had to prepare. De Niro liked to be separated from Mickey Rourke apart from when they were shooting because he felt it helped their performance. And Mickey Rourke took that as an insult. And to this day, they are still at odds with each other. Over Angel Heart, mm. would you believe? There's there's better films to be torn up about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we had uh, Lisa Bonet. Yeah, she was in Cosby the Cosby show. show, yeah. Yes. Oh, there's a story. I think Bill what told was it me a story Denise about Buxtable, this. was it? I think so, yeah, yeah. I think it was Bill who told me, or somebody told me, that uh, apparently Bill Cosby was not happy. Uh, because, obviously, she was a very, it was a very family-friendly show. <laughs> Little did we know. Yeah. Uh, he's proven innocent, apparently. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Um, but yes, uh, she took her big gamble going for it. Uh, it was a stunner. I think she was very good in it, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, she was. It was, it was certainly quite a heavy um, heavy sex scene as well that she had to do. Yeah. Uh, I heard a, well, I read an interview with her where she said uh, it was actually a lot of fun because they were there for hours, you know, just doing these sex scenes. And after a while, they just felt so comfortable with it because it was Mickey Rook's first sex scene as well. And it's just like, you know, let's just have some fun with it. And uh, it it does become a little bit more questionable within the scope of the film when you actually realise that in the end of it she's his daughter. Oh yes, there's a bit of an old boy theme there going on. Oh god, that's that's a bit that's a bit creepy. Yeah, that that's the point where you're just like, hey, okay, yeah. I can kind of see why Bill might have been a bit pissed off. But then it gets even darker as well. Bill Cosby, that is. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case he has to go at me. Um, when you realise that she mentions earlier that that the father of her kid was Johnny Favorite, so her kid was the result of incest with Johnny Favorite, whose soul is now in Harvey Angel's body. It's, it's Harry like, Angel. By Harry the way. Angel. Whatever. Something. A- Marv Angel. <laughs> Obtuse Angel. Uh, whatever. Yeah. And uh, big surprise last night. Guess who was in this movie? Oh, it was uh, Pruitt Taylor Vance. Pruitt Taylor yeah. Vance was Fucking in the movie. Very skinny. He was. I think this must have been one of his first movies. I've, yeah. I've never can't recall him being anything other than the hotel clerk in Red Heat that gets his head slammed off the desk. No, he always well, he's always going to be for me either um, the guy from Constantine, or he yeah. had a character in the X Files where he would. He kind of like projects a victim's death onto a roll of film. Oh, and right. Film for people who don't know used to go in a camera and then used to send it away once you'd taken a load of pictures and they'd run a load of chemicals through it and that was how you got your films. Ah, okay. So, well, that's interesting. Yeah. One um, thing that I would like to say about this movie is the whole idea of Johnny Favorite does seem to take a little bit of an inspiration from a guy called Robert Johnson. Have you heard of him? Um, I may have. <laughs> uh, Robert Johnson was a blues player in the US and he 
he was a guitar player and he disappeared for several years. Oh, the sell the soul to the devil. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. when he came back, he was suddenly this whiz, this prodigy who, who was able to play guitar greater than anyone else had ever seen. And many people said that he had sold his soul to the devil in order to gain this ability. And he didn't end up in the limelight for very long. I think it was only like about 10 years, maybe. Because he died in about 1938. And the the song by the Charlie Daniels band Devil Went Down to Georgia. Yes, that is inspired by Robert Johnson, and as well as that, Johnson inspired just a whole wave of blues and rock and roll musicians for the next several decades, going up to going up to kind of like the the, the grassroots music that uh, that is coming out of the US today. So, oh. kind of ties in with the with the Mister Favorite angle. He- yeah, I didn't latch onto that. Yeah, I'm surprised actually because um, that that should have stuck out like crazy. But uh, I tell you what, it didn't stick out like crazy. Uh, the yellow eyes. Oh god, yeah, of the baby. <laughs> oh, it's both of them. It's Robert De Niro had the yellow eyes in one shot at the end, and then the baby had yellow eyes at one shot in the end. Both yeah, of them, the, they looked awful. The De Niro one is acceptable. The baby one. Was obviously half the his head was frozen while the bottom half was moving. Yeah, didn't you look know, right. It's CGI that nowadays, but that's what they had to work with in the day. Um, Angel Heart was not really a hit. It didn't recoup back its cost. I think it was seventeen million to make the movie. I think it got around sixteen million it made. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the big problem was? Um, not enough boobs. Oh, there's plenty of boobs. But uh, they released the movie on the exact same day as Lethal Weapon. Ah, that'll do it. The the mega star making Lethal Weapon movie, which obviously is a quite a a lighter. Uh, it is lighter a bit lighter, story, isn't it? Yeah, considering it's got like suicide and boobs and cocaine, all and within the first three minutes. Attempted suicide. All <laughs> oh, like, and you know Mel Gibson's ass, but you know. Obviously, it was uh, it was more preferable to Angel Heart, which was a shame. Uh, I'm going to go on record with this. Um, certified fresh? No, no, I don't. I, I think, think it's in between. Uh, I think there's really great ideas. There's there's certain choices in it that don't hold up as much. Uh, I do think Rourke, De Niro, and Lisa Bonet do a great job. Yeah. Uh, oh, you got Charlotte Rampling in there. I almost forgot about Charlotte Rampling in there as well. I'm not um, sure who she is. Oh, she plays the um, the tarot. Ah, reader. right. She's, she's English actress. She's amazing. Okay. Still going to this day, and she still looks amazing for her age today. It's incredible. But yeah, uh, from watching it again last night, I was like, it's not as good as I remember it being. And I think that's the thing. It, it just kind of loses its magic with time. Like what you said at the beginning, you know, we're, we're just kind of spoiled for the twist. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I come in, come in at it completely blank. Like, all I knew is that Robert De Niro was the devil. I knew that just by osmosis just over the years. I didn't know what the rest of the story was. But even if I didn't know that he was the devil, he was just so creepy in that opening thing that it really wouldn't surprise me if he was or wasn't. I, it, for me, it's one of those movies where there is a lot of potential in it, but it didn't feel like it was properly building to its conclusion. 
it felt like the conclusion just came out of nowhere in spite of everything that was going on. It didn't feel like that, that build-up was properly earned to get to that end point. And probably like you, I'd like to see it redone again and see if they can nail that proper escalation of stuff. But for me, it was just a series of events. It, it wasn't anything particularly wonderful. I can't honestly see myself putting this on again. Right. It's just, it, it's yeah. It just is. That's pretty fair. It's yeah. pretty fair. I'll give uh, a bit of a shout out to Helen Mullane, who is a producer. I mentioned that this was going to be on our What's in the Box. And she said, oh, hell yes. My first cult movie obsession. My auntie left her VHS at my mum's house and I would watch it repeatedly. Fell in love with Mickey Rourke and hard-boiled gothic all at once. And I'll give a shout out. Helen produced... Uh, possibly one of the greatest documentaries on comic books in Future Shock, the story of 2000 AD. And uh, if you've not seen that documentary on possibly one of the greatest comic franchises that doesn't have a wealth of movies out there, apart from Dread and probably, unfortunately, Judge Dread. Judge Dread, yeah. Yeah, but you need to see this documentary. It's fantastic. Hi, Helen. Hi. Hi. Right. So, any final thoughts before we move on to the anniversaries? Nah, I'm over no. it. I'm yeah. over it now. Uh, it's, it's time to talk about the past. We watch them again all of the time Or we get them on Prime for free But we only know how old they are When we learn their anniversary you were expecting a new theme tune then, weren't you? <laughs> don't, don't be ridiculous. Why mess with the classics? Mm. I don't know. Steve. Yes. As usual, we have four this week. Four, okay. Now, do you want them going forwards or backwards? Uh, let's start from way back in the day and end up in the most modern. Let's do it that way. The, the chances are you may have seen something more modern. Okay. Um, I really hope you have seen at least one. But I know you'll have seen one. I'm I'm pushing for two here. This is going to be a really short conversation if I haven't. No, we're really going to have to stretch this out. Do a... That's what she said. <laughs> okay. Uh, can you believe, Steve? Mm-hmm. 40 years ago. 40. Wow. Yeah, that was three. Tootsie was released. N- oh, uh, n- no. I th- I have seen about the last 20 minutes of it. You know, where he kind of reveals everything, but I've not seen the full thing, so I'm going to say no. So what were you doing for the first hundred minutes? I don't know. I think it was just on TV one night. I was just flicking through and it was there. Oh, well, it it spoiled you that it really is a guy then, I guess. Well, I kind of knew that because it's Dustin Hoffman. You know, I know he's a method actor, but he's not going to go under gender reassignment surgery just for a film. (laughs) He might do nowadays. You never know. Okay, uh, Tootsie. 40 years ago. That's that feels extremely weird, mm. but it was directed by uh, the great, the fantastic Sidney Pollack. Uh, you may know him from uh, being a producer and also starring in Michael Clayton. Yep. Uh, you may know him for his appearance in Eyes, Eyes Wide, Wide Shut. Shut. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he also directed Out of Africa, which was uh, the big Oscar winner of nineteen eighty-five. I'm going to say. Are you okay? Yes. You just shifted your seat badly or something, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's... I need to get a new one. Okay. 
Uh, Tootsie obviously is the story of struggling actor Dustin Hoffman, who suddenly finds fame when he decides to dress up as a woman. Could this be one of the first ever transgender comedies, maybe? Uh, uh, no, Some Like It Hot. Oh, okay, yeah. All right, I'll, I'll give you that one. Yeah. Uh, some Like It Hot. You weren't expecting that one from me, were you? No, no, that one slipped my mind for some strange reason. Yeah. I don't know why. Uh... Dustin Hoffman was incredibly convincing as a woman. <laughs> Scarily convincing. Just ask Jose Ferrer. Have you heard the Jose Ferrer elevator story? I haven't, no. Uh, okay. Uh, allow me to digress with this story. So, the first time Dustin Hoffman gets uh, in full Tootsie costume, uh, he gets into an elevator with the actor Jose Ferrer. Uh, father of Miguel Ferrer from Robocop fame. So basically he's there, he's talking and uh, Jose Ferrer's being incredibly nice. And Dustin Hoffman, in full Tootsie character, just turns to Jose Ferrer and says, uh, uh, can I suck your c-? <laughs> To which Jose Ferrer stared Dustin out for a couple of minutes before politely saying, uh, I don't think so. No, thank you and left the elevator at the nearest floor that he could. Well, that's how convincing it was. And uh, Dustin Hoffman did tell him, apparently years later, that it was him. <laughs> right. But, uh, oh, Dustin, you're, you're too much. Um, I'm going to lay something out here. Who were? Yes. Uh, oh, we're, we're just getting all the smart jokes this week. Pretty Get them all out. Yet. Get them out while we can. Um... Is this the original Mrs. Doubtfire? Uh, ooh, um, mm, um, I can't think of anything. Uh, so, yes? Well, I'm going to say this because, one, Robin Williams was actually considered for the lead role in Tootsie. Was he? And then in 1993, he does the role of Mrs. Doubtfire as a struggling actor who is uh, not getting anywhere but he decides to turn into this nanny in order to see his children. But, you know, there's there's a there's a fair bit of similarity there in the fact that Robin Williams was up for this role at one point, or at least auditioned for it. I don't think he could have pulled it off, particularly not with how hairy he is. Well, Dustin Hoffman had to, like, wax and shave his legs and everything religiously uh, for this movie. Yeah, but you've seen Robin Williams. That would, that's That's not waxing. He is basically a fur wallet, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he's, he's just a big bag of hair. It's like one of those giant bearskin rugs you throw down in front of the fireplace. Uh, this movie, Tootsie, also was the movie debut of a young Gina Davis. Yes, even before Fletch, she was in Tootsie. And you even have uh, an unbilled Bill Murray. Unbilled? <laughs> I see what un-billed. you did there. <laughs> yes, he's pretty unbilled nowadays. But, um, yeah, apparently back in the day, uh, this was the time when Bill Murray was making most of his movies at Columbia, because you know, he was doing, um, I want to say The River's Edge was Columbia, but I know that, obviously, Ghostbusters, Stripes, a lot of the movies around this time, he probably had a picture deal. But he explicitly stated, you know, uh, I want to go uncredited as Dustin Hoffman's friend because I don't want this being billed as a Bill Murray movie. No, that's fair enough. And I don't think he could have took the role of Tootsie either. He'd just be so dry if he was. Because, I mean, that's his shtick. Sure is. I think most men would be dry if you saw that. Um, 
It is a fantastic role for Dustin Hoffman. The script is incredible. Jessica Lange is in the movie, and she is unbelievable in this movie. I don't think I've ever seen Jessica Lange any better in any movie. Uh, that's really all I've got to say. You've, you've kind of really got to go and see Tootsie. I think it's you don't really associate a lot of comedies that get nominated for Best Picture, but this is among them. Is it in the box? It is in the box. Ooh. Well, who knows when that may come out. And this is also one of David Zucker's favourite movies as well. Ah. Hello, David. Hello, David. Hello. Like you're listening. Uh, right, so that's the first one out of the way. What have we got for the next one? Let's go to 30 years ago this week. Uh, a lot of hoopla about this uh, this week on social media, because 30 years ago this week, A Few Good Men was released. Oh, not seen it. Are you fucking joking me? I'm not. Sorry. Hey, look. You hey. absolute philistine. That's in the box. But you absolute philistine. I've never met anyone in my life who has not seen this movie. You're the first well, person you have I've known now. you for 10 years. You have now. Well, oh, I'm, I'm so glad that I can continue to disappoint you in my own special way. Yes. Yes. And you always find new and exclusive ways. But um, A Few Good Men, 30 years ago. That's just absolutely crazy. I, I can remember it clear as day when I first saw this movie. Directed by Rob Reiner. And Rob Reiner is a man of many hats. Some of you from way back when may remember him from the series All in the Family. Uh, he also directed This Is Spinal Tap. Yes, This Is Spinal yep. Tap was going to be one of the ones I th- brought up. Thank you for saving me. Yes. Um, you may remember from the 2000s if you saw The Story of Us. Or if you've watched The Wolf of Wall Street recently, he's got a role in that as well. Uh, so he's a director, he's a producer, he's a writer, he's an actor. He's a jack of all trades. Uh, a Few Good Men. Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, and obviously Jack Nicholson in... The role that has been memed to hell. God, yeah. I mean, even though I haven't seen it, I've seen that scene. I think everyone has seen that oh, scene. Yeah. It's it's the it's the Captain Queeg scene to reference yes. um, K Mutiny Court Martial. It, it's that scene. It's the bit where the guy just gets so riled up that he incriminates himself, and he just has this wonderful, wonderful speech. And everyone just remembers that you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. But the whole rest of it is wonderful to watch. The way that it builds and builds and builds, and it's done with such conviction on his part. Oh yeah, it's one of the best acted scenes yeah. you will see. If you have not seen this movie, like Steve, it is really one you have to see. I watched it again this week, uh, getting ready for this review, and it just gets better. It, it's one of those movies that really does get better uh, every time you watch it. Um, and this is one of those films uh, from Columbia and Castle Rock, obviously. If it's Rob Reiner, it's going to be Castle Rock. Yeah. Uh, I will point out that there is no sex scene in this movie between Tom Cruise and Demi Moore's characters, much to one executive's chagrin <laughs> at uh, Columbia, uh, because they they really wanted a, just a, a casual sex scene in the movie because it's Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. But the young writer at the time, a man by the name of Aaron Sorkin, came back with the reason of like, well, not every woman is here on the planet to sleep with Tom Cruise. Unless Scientology say so. (laughs) Uh, But they did make Aaron Sorkin actually write one into a version of the script. And when Rob Reiner came on board, he basically vetoed 
uh, the sex scene completely and went back to uh, the original source material, which is good because it didn't need one. Demi Moore really did need this to be a hit. She was riding a really, really rough road of movies at the time. Uh, Nothing But Trouble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, She also did Mortal Thoughts, which was not a great movie. And uh, The Disastrous The Butcher's Wife, uh, which is a blonde Demi Moore. In case you're interested, that's probably the only reason why you'd want to see it. See a different hair colour. The movie is nothing really special otherwise. Um, And after she managed to rescue her career, she went ahead and did bloody striptease. Well, that was about six years about four years later. Yeah, that's what I mean. But this really did catapult her back, uh, so much so she did take a reduced fee to be in this movie. And of course she would, because she's working with Jack Nixon and Tom Cruise. You know, I'd work for £5.50. You know, I'd I'd pay £5.50 to even be in the movie. Um, But Jack Nicholson did 10 days of work, four scenes in all in the entire movie, and netted five million. That's good. Jack, you're a legend, dude. Yeah. Still living off all that Batman money. I mean, shit. Yeah, after Batman, the back end that you got from that, he didn't need to work ever again. Oh, yeah. Well, apparently, um, he, he kept asking, like, more. Apparently, Rob Reiner was just really scared of asking him to go again. And uh, Jack Nicholson pulled him aside and said, Rob, you're not getting it here. I love to act. I will do this all day long. You know, so apparently that was it then. He was just having fun, you know, but also delivering one of the greatest performances of his entire career properly yeah. at the same time, uh, which you will find out when it is in the box. Um, surprisingly, when I was reading about it this week, this movie didn't win any Oscars. Oh, no, that does surprise me because I would have thought uh, Jack would have been up for a gong. Jack should. Right, yeah. and uh, Jack should have been, and he lost that year to Gene Hackman for Unforgiven. Gene Hackman walked right. away with the Oscar. Jack was nominated, and the funny thing is, is Gene Hackman originally was going to be in this role, but couldn't do it because he was committed to Unforgiven. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> Where Gene Hackman beat himself to the Oscars. Goddamn, uh, Gene Hackman. Uh, I thought it would have at least won Best Screenplay because it is an amazing screenplay. It really is. I mean, practically the entire screenplay you can read in the uh, the movie quotes section of IMDb, probably. Mm. I think every single person has put it all down there. It's just out of order. It's like a Tarantino script. Um, I would even have said this could have been Best Director that year. Uh, I, I would have put it down there because it is meticulously directed movie. It really is perfect. And when you kind of look back at the genesis of A Few Good Men, uh, Aaron Sorkin used to work as a barman in a New York theatre. He wrote the entire script for this on napkins during intermissions. So he couldn't afford to go out like during the day and get a $1 notepad? Probably not. But he was there yeah, in the theatre, so when everyone would go in, he would actually start writing down the entire thing of this film. And then obviously he wrote the proper script. But I think he was basically taking all of the notes and planning it all out. And uh, he based it on, I think it was his sister. Uh, his sister had experienced something similar to the crime that they're actually in court for. And that was kind of the genesis. And it just goes to show 
Now, all of you people out there who are not writing scripts because you're saying, oh, we haven't got time, this guy managed to do it on napkins while he was working. Right? There, there is always some idea that is there that can be worked on. Mm. And, you know, you can go and make one of the most famous movies in history, you know, and get some of the greatest actors in history to be in it as well. And then have me come along like a Philistine and say that I've not seen it. Yes, true. But you will. You will see it. And um, one thing I do notice here, that I mean, Rob Reiner made Misery just before this movie. And I did notice in Tom Cruise's apartment, and you can go back and watch A Few Good Men on Spotless, there is a typewriter with two copies of Misery on top of it. Okay. What a shameless plug for the movie that just won Oscars like the year before. Yeah, we we get it, Rob. You're good at what you do. Okay, right, so that's two down. Not seen either. Will I have a third? Nah, I was honestly thinking one of them two you would have seen. Okay. But now, now we're entering unfamiliar territory because we're going to go back 20 years. Oh, God, right. Now, now, I have only seen this movie once, but I remember it. So th- that's good, but I remember only a few sporadic things about it. 20 years ago this week, a movie called Just Married was released. Oh, that's the one with Ashton Kutcher and um, Cameron Diaz, isn't it? Oh, fucking dare you. No, it was not Cameron Diaz. It was Brittany Murphy, and it still fucking hurts to this day. (laughs) We miss Brittany Murphy. She was just incredible. But um, no, it was, uh, you were right, Ashton Kutcher and Brittany Murphy, who were Ah. a real-life couple at the time of this movie. But I brought it up because it's so sad kind of watching this movie again this week and realising what an incredible talent Brittany Murphy was. And I think she just had so much more to give. But what did surprise me is that this was directed by Sean Levy. Oh, uh, of um, Stranger Things. Is it? Is he Stranger Things? Yeah, he's like one of the directors on the... I don't know if he... Oh, right. I think he's moved into more of a producing capacity, but he was definitely one of the directors on the first um, ones. Is it Ghostbusters he's involved with now? Uh, Pass. It might be. I think it might be. Is he part of um, Bron now? Quite possibly. I know that uh, he was um, the director and producer of Free Guy. The mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds movie that came out recently. Also, The Adam Project. So he's working a yeah. lot with Ryan Reynolds. But he also might know him as uh, he was a producer on uh, Dennis Villeneuve's movie Arrival, uh, The Spectacular Now as well. Well, uh, I always get a little bit confused because, I, if I remember correctly, Eugene Levy's son is called Sean, <laughs> but I think it's a different spelling. Yes. Um, you know, I think that has confused everybody. Yeah, because it confused me at first. It's like, what? That's the guy that's in Shits Creek, is it? Yes. <laughs> uh, Shits Creek but, is really good, by the way. If you haven't seen it, I urge you to go watch it. I have. It's, it's TV. I'll never get the time. It's really good. It's, I may it's catch funny. one episode or a bit of an episode. You never know. Um, another sad thing about this movie, apart from the fact that Brittany Murphy we have lost, this was the last ever film role of George Gaines, who you know is Commandant Lassard from Police Academy. God, he must have been old then. He was ninety. Say no more, Jesus well, Christ! Yeah. He was in his probably in his eighties, but I know he passed away when he was ninety-eight. I believe he got so close to that hundred. Oh, I know. It's like it's like when my granddad died. He he. he died two weeks out for his 89th birthday, and I remember see, going to his birthday and saying, don't die before you're 90, because otherwise you'll make your tombstone look untidy. <laughs> Wouldn't listen to me, would he? Well, 
that's a good way of putting it. Obviously, this is um, a story of two young kids who get married when they shouldn't, and it's a disastrous time. And and to be honest, they used to get into character by having real-life arguments before their scenes. And how long after this film came out did they end up breaking up? It wouldn't have been that far. It's Aston Kutcher, isn't it? Yeah. It was probably... Uh, someone's uh, girlfriend who needed taken, or wife, or whatever. Other. Other. Or someone's job that needs taking on two and a half men. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, yeah, Just Married is 20 years old this week. Um, kind of a sweet little movie. It's nothing major, but it'll pass an hour and a half, you know. And uh, it's worth seeing for Brittany Murphy alone. Right. Um, didn't really linger on that one too much, but uh, let's crack on. Uh, what we got for our fourth and fourth Final entry this week. Well, a bit more recent. We're going back 10 years. Mm-hmm. 10 years ago this week, the movie Zero Dark Thirty was released. So, oh, the Andy McNabb thing. No, yet again. Andy the, McNabb. Uh, wait, no. Wait, That's Bravo to zero. Oh, I don't know. It's some kind of it's number, then an alphanumeric code, and then another. It, it's all, yeah. Catherine Bigelow, is it? Yes, you right. got that right. Catherine Bigelow, uh, follow-up to The Hurt Locker. I love the fact that she kind of mirrors James Cameron by only making a movie every once in a while. Yeah, but um, is hers kind of like the follow-up to Dancers with Smurfs? Or as I like to probably. call it now, Dancers with Snorks, because it's underwater. Well, no, I think this followed The Hurt Locker. I can't remember if she had one in between. But obviously, you know, she's done other amazing films like Near Dark, which was her debut. And Brilliant film. Yes. And it was so overshadowed by The Lost Boys, but trust me, Near Dark, I think, mm. is a much better movie. I'm battered for saying that too loud. Um, and also Strange Days, which is just an incredible movie. Really is. It's one of my favourite movies. Uh, but Catherine Bigelow, obviously, she was... Was she married to James Cameron? Or was she in a relationship? was. I can't remember what period. I think that was kind of around about the time of The Terminator? Maybe leading up to Terminator 2? Yeah, I, th- I think it'll be around those earliest. Before, obviously, that he got with Linda Hamilton, then got with Susie Amis, who I believe who's still with nowadays. Yeah. Zero Dark Thirty was actually supposed to be directed by James Cameron. This was one of his many projects that he had attached his names to directing, uh, like Battle Angel Alita, which he didn't end up doing. Spider-Man. Or Spider-Man, yeah. which he didn't end up doing or Terminator, whatever, that he didn't end up doing. Um, I, I think he's lingered on more projects than anything. I think James Cameron probably had his name down for absolutely every single movie going. And it's just like, uh, well, what am I going to get to? Can I go to space? No. Can I go underwater? No. Um, can I dive into lava with a suit? No. I don't really want to do it. Mm. I think I'm just going to... Go and create my world where I can do that. All right, and you will pay me billions. And he's, he's still riding high now on Avatar Two. Yeah, I haven't even I haven't even gone no. to see it. No, I don't. It, it's it's something like about one point seven billion already. I know. And, I'm and struggling to work out why. I'm struggling to work out why because I don't know one single person who's gone to see it yet. No, me neither. And it's like I'm looking on Facebook saying. Okay, where, where are these people who are tagging that they're in the cinema watching Avatar 2? I, I can't, can't see them. Where are they going? So, do the tickets cost like 
10 grand and that's how they're making the money back up. Oh, they must be doing something. Or, or, or they're trying to force people into the 4DX experience. I reckon that's well, what it is. I, yeah. I reckon that's the only way he was really going to make the money up by, is by going for these specialty major screenings where, oh, look, you can have water shot into your face. And let's have a, we're really going to fire machine guns at you while you're actually sitting yeah. watching the movie. Yeah, we're going to be setting feathers on fire under your nose so you get the smell. And we're going That's to be lurching the It's a grey screening, isn't it? <laughs> no, they use the feather in a completely different way there. Yeah. Yes, sure, they use the whole chicken. Yes. Um, it's just to tickle, dear. But getting back to Zero Dark Thirty, which is the focus of what we were actually talking about from 10 years ago. Um, this is obviously the movie that documents the capture of Osama bin Laden. Now, the actual script nice was written before bin Laden was captured, and it ended up being hastily rewritten after Osama bin Laden's capture. Why? Because SEAL Team today. 6 went off script. Yes. Okay, you're going to go in here, you're going to capture him. No, I said capture him, goddammit. Go, re- restart, restart. Uh, I think this was the first movie that really introduced me to Jessica Chastain. And I think this is the movie that really catapulted her into a leading player in Hollywood. You see, she's one of those people that I know the name of, but if you ask me to place the face, I couldn't. Oh, well, it's probably because you've not seen many newer films. And she hasn't been in Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, so that's probably why you don't know her. Is she in Evil Dead? No. All right, so I won't see her in that then when that comes out. No. No. Uh, she was in The Good Nurse recently. Um, eh. I'm I'm sure she's going to join Marvel someday because literally everybody is. Anyway, Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go online. This is a brilliant movie. I watched it again this week. And although it's one of those that is kind of shot that is really grainy when you watch it on a big screen, because it's, you know, it, it's kind of shot that way, like Three Kings, Munich, you know, all, all, all that kind of movie where it's like, it's grainy to watch, but it's a great movie. It really is. And it's got some really good night vision scenes with the night vision goggles and stuff. It is kind of just like you're playing Call of Duty in a way. And it's all based in fact. So much so that uh, the CIA actually helped out on this movie. I nearly fell off my chair. Get a look at that. You're that excited excited about it. I know. The bloody handle at the bottom went as I leaned backwards. The the fact is that they did. But unless you're one of these online conspiracy theories that says, Osama Bin Laden isn't dead. This is all bullshit. And you just need to, like, shut the fuck up, really. (laughs) What, What does it matter? I don't think he's dead. It doesn't have to be. Who cares? As long as he's not fucking killing people anymore. Uh, this is the problem with the people online. They love sprouting shit and all the conspiracy theories, but they're not going to do anything other than talk about it online. 9-11 was an inside job. <sighs> yeah, it's like, you really have nothing to get on with your life with if you're like just sprouting shit from 20 years ago. Wake up, sheeple. Pull yourself out of the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. I look at it this way. I don't have any power over any of that shit, so I'd rather just enjoy what I do have power over, and that's, you know, making a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, it sounds nice, actually. It's nice. Uh, I've tried it with Worcester sauce on it. Oh, oh. God, yeah. Ooh. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's incredible. But yeah, Zero Dark Thirty actually <laughs> did come out uh, <laughs> 10 years ago this week, and you should go and watch it with your grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. Make, yeah. make a couple of them. Invite some that's friends good. over. What? Watch the movie and have some grilled cheese sandwiches and Liam Perrin's all over it. Maybe get like one of those toasty machines and then have a pile of cheese slices and a pile of bread in front of you and then just keep making them as you need to. That way you don't need to leave and go to the kitchen. 
Are you talking about the uh, the fantastic technical marvel that is a toasty maker? That's the one. Yes. So not quite a grilled cheese, but it, it, same kind of effect. I had Kate leave one on a hob that was still left turned on, and it melted the toasty maker. Mm, that's not good. And uh, I never forgave her for that. But anyway. So that was Dear Dark Thirty. That's Dear Dark Thirty. Hey, listen. It is How an many amazing tangents? movie. It is an amazing movie. I was kind of hoping you might have seen it because nah. there would have been some great conversation. But I know it's in the box, and I don't want to ruin it too much for you. So uh, that's it. That's the anniversaries for this week. In that case, speaking of what's in the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Ah, uh, what's in the box? Can you believe it? I know. We're back again. Ready for you to put me through either treats or torture. Although last week you pulled out Angel Heart and I was a bit, yeah, so... We'll see what this week brings up. It could be that the crap film is the one which I enjoy. Um, last week. It was like a month ago. I know. Don't spoil it for the little children. Okay. Well, as you know, the rules have changed. Mm. We now ask you questions. And if you get the question right, you get a certified fresh. If you get the question wrong, you get a certified rotten, which you'll probably fucking enjoy more. I probably will do, to be honest. Because you're a cinematic philistine. I like things that are a bit shit. You do. You do. I, I really thought it would be torture, but to be honest, it's not really been that much torture. You've enjoyed them, which is scary. Yeah, even stuff like The Legend of Hercules, which was terrible, I had such a good time watching it because I was laughing so much. Well, are you ready for your question? Hit me, daddy And you only have limited time to answer. You cannot Google. That is the rule. Yep, I'm, I'm Google-free. Okay. Your question is, and it's mm. multiple choice. Oh, okay. Okay. Which of these movie franchises has earned the most at the box office? Is it A, Superman, B, Harry Potter, or C, Pirates of the Caribbean? I am going to go with Pirates. You are wrong. Was it Barry Grotter? It was Harry Potter. Nah. See, this is where it helps to know your uh, your Harry Potter stuff. I was yeah, I was thinking I was getting kind of confused at the time. At World's End was like the movie which had the highest budget of any film to date. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I I believe you. I yeah, do. I do. Right. Well, I guess I've got to rummage into the box. Uh, a look. It's a negative box. Yes, okay. so all the movies that are in that particular box are going to be certified unfresh at either 25% or lower. Yes, which basically online critics say that they are the worst of the worst. But that's uh, critics. See. It all depends. The, yeah, yeah. They're not always right. Audience scores of, like, with uh, 8mm, that bumped that up to somewhere in the early 60s, low 60s. Okay. So, Okay. Okay, so what we have here is... Ooh. Ouch. Oh, God. Now, if you've not seen the original, it's going to be hard. So, obviously, it is a remake. And it is... (laughs) 
It's the 2015 remake of Point Break. Do you know what? I've not seen the original. Well, this will be interesting then, because the original is great. So Kathleen Bigarrow again, wasn't it? Catherine Bigarrow, yeah. Catherine Bigarrow, uh, yeah, I almost said that. Yeah, you almost did say it. Uh, so, yes, this is 11% rotten. Ooh. And that is your movie for next week. So if you tune in next week, you will know that Steve has watched the movie. He's survived watching it, and he will come in and we'll tell you all about it. Yes. Uh, and in the meantime, if you want to discuss with us anything that you have heard in this episode, or just anything in general, then you can get in touch with us on our Facebook page, which is Facebook forward slash Pottywood. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Pottywood. You can join us on the Pottywood subreddit, which is r slash Pottywood on Reddit, of course. And, you know, get in touch with us. We want to hear what you think. Yeah, come and chat to me on LinkedIn. It'll, yeah. it'll be a nice uh, break from all of the recruiters and website designers. I keep forgetting LinkedIn. I know, you shouldn't. We're, we've we've surpassed our numbers yeah. on LinkedIn now. We're pretty good. We're at 547 people Woo! now following us on there, which you know is, is just trailing our Facebook. Yeah. And uh, if you're listening to this on uh, the audio, then you can hop over to our YouTube channel where you can find videos of us doing weird stuff with some of our guests in actual video form. And if you're listening to this through the YouTube channel, then why not check out some of our other episodes on the go? Because we know you don't want to buy YouTube Premium. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you don't want to spend fuel in your car. Just stick Spotify on while you're walking, jogging, whatever. Yeah. Be entertained. Oh, Get I will in the new quick, year. Yes, I will uh, throw out a quick plug. Also, we are... Following the success of our Christmas episode, which was just an incredible amount of fun for all involved, we are now planning the Pottywood St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Mm-hmm. So we will be doing another video quiz episode centered around it. Our plan is to have three males, three females, and it's going to be a Battle of the Sexes. So it should be fun. We're currently, well, I'm currently planning all that at the moment. And we'll be getting it set up, hopefully recording just before Valentine's Day. So it will be there. So if you're alone on Valentine's Day and really depressed, at least you've still got us. To make you even more depressed. Yes. Mm. We'll we'll have some good looking people on there anyway, so it's not all that bad. And you. And me, yeah. I'll hopefully be slimmer. Yes, hopefully we both will. Because, uh, yeah, New Year, trying to shift some of these pounds. Already had a very nice steak this evening and some fruit in Greek yogurt with a little bit of granola. Very nice. <laughs> yes, send in your dietary tips <laughs> to to all of our contact pages. Yes. We really want to hear all the stuff that basically helps us shift all of the Christmas weight. Uh, with that in mind, uh, that is it from the start of Series 5. Thank you very much for listening to us. Hopefully we'll see you again next week. Uh, but for now, it is a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. And thank you also to Ethan for our fantastic intro. Yes. Hi, Ethan. But for now, it's goodbye.